So Mark, Mark chapter 6, um, the first 12 verses we covered already in the uh, previous two weeks. Uh, Billy preached two sermons on 12 verses and I'm going to preach one sermon on the rest of the chapter, which is uh, quite a lot of uh, text. But the reason is that um, th these are three stories. Um, so there's Jesus hearing about the death of John the Baptist and then Jesus feeding the 5,000 and finally Jesus walking on water. Um, and it seems that these three stories all happened in one day. If you compare a bit with, uh, with Matthew, it seems that this all happened on one day and that is interesting and that's why the title of this sermon is One Way with Jesus. But the other reason that I take these three stories together is because of the contrasts that you find here. One story is very colorful. Uh, in fact, verse 39 even mentions the color green, the green grass. Very colorful, very nice and peaceful. But other verses are really black, pitch black. Um, and for that reason may be quite puzzling. And you find this, this contrast in this chapter, and that's why we're going to try to cover that all in one sermon. Um, and that is how life is, basically. Um, some days are very colorful, but we also go through shades of gray and black even, and sometimes even in one day. The morning can be different from the evening. So I gave a second title to this sermon and it is The Lord is My Shepherd and please keep these two titles in mind as we read through the chapter. The context of course is um, what we have seen last week that Jesus is sending out his 12 apostles two by two um, and they, uh, they go out and preach and do all these things, um, heal the, the sick, cast out demons and um, then verse 14 starts, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these mirac miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod, Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish 
and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorrow, but sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her, to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the twelve loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to eat. Sorry, to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds 
to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, or him, were made well. So we have three stories, and they probably all take place in one day. And it's not difficult to see how Jesus was a shepherd to his disciples and to these 5,000 people. But how was he a shepherd to John the Baptist? Because Mark gives us the, the details of what happened, uh, sort of as a, as a flashback. Because we read in verse 14 that Herod's conscience is basically tormented. He had beheaded John. And now he heard about all these miracles taking place. And he may be superstition, but basically his conscience that was hunting him, he thought, oh, John the Baptist came back to life. And then Mark, as a flashback, gives us the details of what had happened. And when you read that story, you're really like, Lord, I can see your compassion in the second story, the feeding of the 5,000. I can see it in you walking over the water to meet your disciples. But how about John? How were you, were you his shepherd? One of your best sheep is slaughtered, beheaded, and you don't do anything. And in fact, when before, before that, when John was put behind bars, he himself was quite puzzled about it. We can be quite sure that he had no doubt as to who Jesus was. He was, John was the forerunner, and he pointed out people, the Lamb of God, that's the one. And John had no doubt about that. But when he was in prison, suddenly things didn't make sense to him anymore. He didn't understand what was happening. And he wondered whether, after all, he was wrong about Jesus. Have you ever told that? Maybe I'm wrong about Jesus. So John sends one of his disciples that apparently came to visit him. He sends a messenger to Jesus in Matthew 11. You can read that. And he asks, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And this is what Jesus answers in the next verse, Matthew 11, verse 4. He says, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive the sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the dead hear. And Jesus was quoting from Isaiah 35. In fact, he is saying prophecies are being fulfilled. Isaiah 35. And then he continues in his response to John, And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And that is a quotation from Isaiah 61, verse 1. And if, if you would turn to that verse in Isaiah, and, if, and I think John knew this verse, you can almost hear John saying, Please continue and quote the rest of the verse to me as well. 
because in Isaiah it says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And maybe John was like, please quote that part to me as well. But Jesus never quoted that part of the verse. Instead, he said, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That was it. That was all the answer he got. And in fact, Jesus is asking John, and he's asking you and myself, can you trust me for the things that you don't understand based on what you do hear and see? The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. I am the one, Dion. I am the one. Now trust me for your circumstances, even when it will never make sense to you. I think quite often we are ready to blame God first before blaming anyone else. In this case, it was Herod who was to blame, and Herodias, not God. But I realize that that doesn't just take away the whole problem, like, oh, it was Herod's fault. God could have stopped Herod, right? But he didn't do that. So let me repeat what I just said in slightly different words, and I have said it in other sermons as well. And probably the reason is because I need to remind myself, do I trust God for the things that I don't know based on what I do know? Do I trust God for the things I don't know based on the things that I do know? Now, Jesus was indeed John's shepherd. But how? When I say the Lord is my shepherd, I think most of us immediately think of Psalm 23, right? It's the most famous, the most well-known psalm. Even non-Christians know Psalm 23 somehow. How would John read that psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. Let me give you the real text and then read how John might have read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall want one thing. Get me out of this prison. He makes me lie down in my cell. He leads me beside still dungeon walls. He restores my soul. Not. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and that brought me in this trouble. Because I talked to Herod about the wife he shouldn't have, for righteousness, for righteousness' sake, for your name's sake, God, that's why I'm in prison. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that John was bitter. I don't know how he felt. I'm just trying to point out that this most well-known Psalm 23 sometimes, if not often, doesn't seem to resemble our circumstances or other people's circumstances at all. And yet, right after the 9-11 attack in New York, President George Bush read Psalm 23. Because there is hope in that Psalm. 
the psalm is true in spite of circumstances it must be true because it is the word of God so one day the door of John's prison cell was finally opened and a man with a sword came in and he was sent by Herod Herod was throwing a party and he was just staring at this dancing girl basically her body and then he promised more than was his to give he was entangled in his sin trapped by his very own wife who shouldn't have been his wife in the first place and then you read this terrible verse I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on the platter and so the executioner came and stepped in that cell with a sword but I do believe based on Psalm 23 that there was somebody else in that cell as well even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me I don't know how many seconds passed between that that cell door opened and the moment that John was there maybe just enough to finish the psalm you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever it is that final word in Psalm 23 that is very important the word forever because the scope of that psalm is forever it is not just the here and now not only this life because if he would stop here if he would stop at this life the psalm wouldn't make much sense at least not for John there would be very little comfort in the psalm but Jesus was truly John's shepherd and before Herod's banquet was finished John's cup was flowing over in the house of the Lord and it is still flowing over today but Herod on the other hand will for all eternity be guilty of killing John and not only that it's the same Herod that gave Jesus over to be crucified John is with the Lord today but Herod if indeed he never repented will suffer the punishment of God's eternal damnation away from the presence of the Lord what a contrast so Matthew 14 tells us that John's disciples came and they took the body we read the same in Mark but Matthew also tells us that they went and told Jesus what could they better do then tell Jesus and then Matthew also says that when Jesus heard this he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself and that is how it connects back to um, Mark 6 
in Mark we read that the disciples came back from their mission trip. In Matthew we read that Jesus withdrew himself because he heard the news about John. So that is why I conclude that all this happened on the same day. Because having said that, you know, Psalm 23 has this wide scope and we should see our circumstances in light of eternity, all that is true. And it gives us hope and comfort. But that is never <coughs> meant as some cheap or shallow answer to the here and now circumstances. This was awful news. And it hit really hard. And Jesus had lost a true friend and a relative. And therefore Jesus wanted to be alone for a while. And then in Mark 6, verse 30, we read that the disciples also came back from the mission trip just then. Probably all excited about all that they had done and thought. You see the contrast, right? Jesus wanting to be alone because his friend was beheaded. And 12 men, all excited, coming back. And then Jesus puts their needs above his own needs. And he invites them to go with him to a desolate place to rest a while. And we know that, because we read it just now, that this uh, retreat didn't really turn out as expected. But at least they had this calm boat ride. It's quite often overlooked. We always think that this retreat never worked out. But they did have a couple of hours quiet on the lake. The water, the breeze. Jesus knows that we need that. But the people, they follow them over land. And by the time they reach, there's a whole crowd waiting for them. And you're really like... You can imagine that Jesus would be like, Please leave me alone. I need a break, man. John is there. I just heard it. And these, my disciples, they're quite a handful anyway. Jesus did need a break, really. But his shepherd heart wins. It says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When you see the sheep, you might feel a bit of compassion. They, they look nice and cute. These people, they were not nice and cute. These were unbelieving Jews, quite ready to argue with Jesus. And we see that in John chapter 6, which gives us the sermon after the feeding of the 5,000. They were basically just stalking Jesus with no concern whatsoever for his needs. And yet Jesus had true, sincere, heartfelt compassion for them. In fact, that is why he sent out his disciples. What we saw last week, if we read uh, that in Matthew also, Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he mentioned he gives them authority to cast out demons and power to heal. 
And that is what we saw last week from Mark as well. So he sent his disciples out because of the compassion that he had for the people. And now he and Mark, the disciples, come back and they're they're all excited about what they have done and told. But you wonder, did that turn them into shepherds, really? Did that give them that shepherd heart? Like Jesus had. And that is a question that I should ask myself. I'm aware of that. But we can all ask ourselves the question, do we really see the people around us? And does it move us with compassion? Lost people. It seems in this story that we read that Jesus is the only one that had genuine compassion. The disciples were quite ready to send them away. But Jesus says, give, you give them something to eat, Mark 6, 37. It's a very familiar passage. Many people have preached a sermon on the feeding of the 5,000. There are many lessons to learn there about us giving to Jesus what we have so that he can do what we cannot do. All these things is in here. Jesus using his disciples to distribute to the people. He doesn't do that himself. And many, many important lessons are there about mission, about discipleship, and um, a lot of things. But I want to focus on verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Here we see the good shepherd in need of some rest himself because of what he heard about John. Then he withdraws himself in a boat to a quiet place to deal with this news. But since he knows everything, he is withdrawing himself, but he's going to a place where there is enough green grass for 5,000 and more people to sit. That is our shepherd. The disciples, they were in need of rest as well. Maybe during that boat ride, he shared with them about John. I, I don't know that. But at the end of the day, just see the picture. Here is the good shepherd, Jesus, taking care of the disciples that needed rest, taking care of 5,000 men and women and children. And I've, I've never been at the Sea of Galilee, but I always imagine this scene. There's the lake, there's green grass, there's a lot of groups, 50, 100, Nobody's screaming, nobody's shouting. They're eating the best bread ever, the best fish ever. It's peaceful. You can almost feel the breeze. And that is what Jesus the shepherd managed to do on that day. Isn't that wonderful? A day with Jesus. What a day. But the day is not over yet. There's one more episode. And when you realize that this is all taking place on one day, you're really like, Lord, 
maybe this final episode, shall we do that next month? I think we have quite enough for today already. And maybe sometimes you feel like that. Things coming your way in one day, that you feel like, I, I thought I had quite enough for today already. And yet there's more coming. Yet Jesus decided that this would be the day that that same evening his disciples would go through another storm. He sends him, them in the boat, dismisses the people that are now well fed and satisfied, and then he goes up to the mountain to pray. Verse 46. To be alone with his father. Because all needs are met in the previous story, except his own. He still had to have some time with his father alone. So he doesn't sleep. He goes up to the mountain, from the mountain, and he prays, spend time with father. But his eyes are also on his disciples. They are struggling. They are going through that storm. The wind is against them. They are not making any progress. And Jesus is on that mountain, and it's in the middle of the night, it's pitch dark. Maybe the moon was out, which makes quite a difference. Um, but anyway, darkness is as light for him. He could even see the fear in their eyes. And then he walks over the water that he created. He's the creator, no problem for him to do that. He walks over the water to be with his disciples. It is I, do not be afraid. What a shepherd. And then, on the other side of the lake, a new day awaits Jesus. More needs to be met, many people to be healed. And then it says in verse 56, wonderful verse, and as many as touched him were made well. The word can also be translated as saved. As many as touched him were saved. So what do we take home from this chapter? What do we learn? The Lord is my shepherd. Can he provide in all my needs? Well, I guess so. If he can feed 5,000 people, if he can walk over water, he can meet my needs. So did he then rescue John from prison? No, he didn't. John was beheaded. So does that mean he is just unpredictable? Is it a matter of being lucky? pages but I still mess it up. <laughs> Never mind. He never rescued John and still he was his shepherd. He fed those five thousand people. But the next day and we read that in uh, in John chapter six, the next day they come after Jesus and there's this whole sermon that Jesus gives or this dialogue with them. And you wonder who is more blessed in the end, John or these 5,000? 
Jesus said to John, blessed is he who doesn't take offense from me. So John was blessed, although we wouldn't, we wouldn't think that. But John was blessed. Jesus said, blessed is he. And these 5,000 people, they had a wonderful evening. It was very nice. They were well fed, but the next day they were hungry again. So Jesus tells them, I am the true bread of life that came down from heaven. When you feed on me, you will never hunger and you will never thirst again. The question is how many of them were blessed in that way? How many took that? They were more interested in the bread, the temporal satisfaction than in Jesus himself. John is still being blessed in the house of the Lord forever. These people that came to Jesus for bread, their needs were met for that moment. But where are they now? Jesus tells the same Jews later in John chapter 10, you're not even one of my sheep. There was unbelief. their real need for their sins was not met. See, John talked to Herod. You are having that wife. It's your brother's wife. That is your problem, Herod. And Herod didn't like that. And Herodias was angry with John. It is our sins that is our problem. And yes, Jesus is our shepherd. And it is not a problem for him to provide in all our needs, as he did for these 5,000 people. It is not, not a problem for him. But he wants to deal with our real need. When he said, I am the good shepherd, the next thing he said, I'm laying down my life for the sheep. Jesus gave his life he didn't give his life when he was feeding these 5,000. That was his power to just do that. But he gave his life to deal with our real deepest need, our sins. He is the good shepherd. John knew it. John knew him like that. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Yes, John was beheaded. But straight away after that, he was in the house of the Lord. We don't know always how Psalm 23 works out in our life. My cup flows over. Maybe in this life, in certain circumstances, that we see how the Lord provides open doors, gives us what we want maybe in the next life that is really up to him and we can trust him for the things that we don't know based on what we do know but these people that had all their needs met were still outside of Christ 
they didn't receive him as the good shepherd that gave his life for their sins. Even the people in the final passage, they were sick, they had all sorts of needs, and they were all healed, and Billy pointed out that this was really the inauguration of the kingdom, and that is why miracle after miracle after miracle happened, and all these people were healed, and he can still heal today, but it is different now from then. But what is still true is the final verse, when it comes to our souls, as many as touched him were saved. The same verse in a different gospel as the word utterly, completely, totally, fully, as many as touched him were completely saved. So you pray. Father, we thank you for this chapter with um, bright colors and very dark colors. It started with a terrible story. It ends with a wonderful verse. We thank you for this Psalm 23. A Psalm that gives hope. A Psalm that is true. Help us to trust you in all the circumstances of our lives. We know that you can provide in all our needs and you do provide in all our needs, but sometimes in a way that is different from what we had in mind. We leave that to your wisdom and we trust you and your love. Help us to see that your scope is an eternal scope. Your view is everlasting. Help us today and tomorrow to live our lives in view of eternity for ourselves, for the people around us. There is so much to win and so much to lose. We thank you that all that we need to do is touch you, believe in you, trust you, see you. These are different terms that are used, but basically comes down to have you. And we thank you for those of us in this room who have trusted you. And we pray for those who have not made that decision yet. We pray that you will show them their need and help them to trust you as their Savior. In Jesus' name, Amen.